Hello and welcome to another edition of um, Doing Things Better and Doing Better Things. Um, this one is, it, well, it's, it's a really interesting one and, and it's one that I kind of thought long and hard about recording actually. It's um, a conversation with Gemma and Ella from um, the Back to Basics kind of guide or a box to help you kind of like live a plastic free and more sustainable life. Now, the reason that I held off recording this was those two things aren't actually the same thing. Being more sustainable isn't always using less plastic and using less plastic isn't always being sustainable. Uh, we cover a little bit of that in, in the interview. And as ever with the work that I do, I'm less interested in the project and more interested in, in the people and that's all perfectly valid. So I, um, it's just, it comes with a health warning that, you know, so, sometimes plastic packaging is, is really good and it extends the life of the product massively. Oftentimes that's not the case and, and we default to it as a matter of cause and we need to certainly challenge that. But, um, but, but but in some examples, and I'm not going to quote the cucumber example because you already know it, it significantly enhances the life of the product. And then there's a whole debate that sits behind that about, you know, taking the plastic off a cucumber makes it last less long. Therefore, we should only really be eating British cucumbers, which means we should only really be eating produce when it's in season, which changes the way that we shop and, and the things that we eat. And is that a good or a bad thing? And and there's a bigger debate about how we live that we're not even um, beginning to talk about here. So I think... Um, I think it's a really interesting project and, and, and first and foremost I heartily um, applaud it because it's just good to do something um, and, and as we talk about in the, in, the, in the podcasts for a couple of generations or certainly for a, a sort of middle generation between, between my generation and, and my children's, there seems to be a little bit of apathy, that apathy has now lifted and that, and that can only be um, encouraged. So <clears throat> the podcast comes with that health warning. That, that actually sometimes the sensible answer is not the most obvious answer and the obvious answer is, is not the most sensible answer. But have a listen, see what you think. It's a little bit noisy to start off with, we're in a cafe. Um, and um, yeah, it's an enjoyable one. It's really nice to dig into into this generation and uh, and see why they've woken up. So um, we're sat here in the Grancho Club, refugees from the House of St Barnabas. Um, there'll be some tea and coffee and stuff arriving any minute now, actually. Thank you, yeah. There's mint and chamomile. Come on, That's here. That's that one there. Thank you so much. Thank you. No, just bring your sugar in a second. Thank, Thank you so much. You. Don't worry about the sugar, I think we're okay. I don't need sugar. Yeah, we're okay for sugar. Thank you. Thank you. Ace tar. Um, and there you go, right on cue. Um, and I'm sat here with, um, with Gemma and Ella, who are, are doing some really beautiful, simple, and hopefully effective work in terms of sustainability. But you don't want to hear about me, or you don't want to hear about it from me, you want to hear about it from them. So, ladies, what are you up to? Well, um, so, Gemma and I run a, um, a kind of a space for sustainability, to make sustainability more accessible for our generation and older generations, but it really started with kind of 18 to 24 year olds and making it kind of trendy, kind of sexy, kind of fun. Um, so we really started in the sustainable fashion arena. Yeah. That was our place. Um, and we 
we started just sharing the stories behind our secondhand items. So we had we both bought secondhand and we started making up stories. So we'd post pictures of an item of clothing and we'd make up a story. So the item of clothing could have belonged to the Queen of Spain or the item of clothing. So you lie, you basically. Oh, yeah, no, no, we create these worlds. <laughs> right. We create worlds around pieces of clothing because we thought that everyone felt so disconnected that clothes are just clothes. And especially for our generation, clothes are just clothes. <laughs> So, yeah, we basically just straight up lie and make up these big stories because we wanted people to see how you can attach to clothing in a different way. And that was our aim. So it really just started there and that was just like for fun. And what, how did people respond? Well, firstly, did they know that you were fibbing? Was it really, was it kind of ostentatious lying? And number two, how did they respond to it? Sometimes they weren't lies. I think it was half and half. Sometimes it was, oh, I went on a trip to South America and I bought this and this is what it meant to me at the time. Um, but then sometimes we would lie. But we wouldn't necessarily say when we were lying. But I think <laughs> when it was kind of real. obvious because yeah. the lies would be quite satirical, like quite yeah. like wild. Yeah, and then yeah. they'd be in there with like, this was my grandma's ring and it means a lot to me because of yeah. this. Okay. Um, and everyone was commenting saying, I have something like that or I have a piece of jewellery that means so much or tagging their friends going, oh, you got this or do you remember when we went away and so all of this. So the stories were the thing that created stickiness and yes, Velcro. Yes, 100%. That's, that's why, really interesting. That's what grew our following in the first place. Yeah. People connecting to the stories. Whether they connected to ours or whether it reminded them of something that happened similarly in their a lives. A trigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Most of it was, I think, the reason why our following grew initially was because of the tag people were tagging their friends yeah. sort of with that connection which That's was really, really interesting. interesting and we didn't predict that at all no so you'll remember when you came to the do lectures yes. um, at the end of the do lectures which is like a three-day festival of ideas mm-hmm. um, we have an auction and I auction loads of stuff off and I was auctioning my jeans right at the beginning it's dead funny because I take them off and I'm normally wearing something stupid <laughs> underneath or nothing and um, and I tell stories about my jeans yeah. so oh, and there was the time we went to see the bonfire and you can still smell the smoke and then there was the time me and my That's wife brilliant. had sex in the garden and you can still see the green grass on the knees and and, and it, the stories are sticky literally in that case sticky stories um, but, but, but attaching ourselves emotionally to products it's something that product designers do really, really well. We feel emotionally attached to our electronic devices. They are blank bits of silicon, mm-hmm. but we feel emotionally attached to them. And if we can create that same attachment to clothes, maybe we can move beyond the fact that 30% of the clothes that we, have, we own lay unworn in, in any one year in the back of our wardrobe. Mm-hmm. M- maybe it will move beyond the fact that people are buying like three times what they actually need and are shopping essentially to make themselves feel better rather than to, to cloak themselves. Did you see, did you get any stories back from your followers that you changed their behavior? Could you, could you detect that? Yeah, so we try to sort of start a bit of a movement with people sending in photos of them holding their clothes and explaining what what they meant to them. So sort of in the beginning stages, we would get people to send us images over email and then we would repost them and say, this is Lucy from blah, 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 and, and this is what the item means to her emotionally. And I think that was interesting to see sort of how far it could go. Because that was spanning from over countries. It wasn't just from London. That's when we thought, okay, we've really got something because we were getting sent in images from New Zealand or somewhere in America. And I think people our age were like craving to talk about something meaningful. Yeah. Mm. Like something meaningful to them, like an emotional, like I know definitely in British culture we don't speak about emotions enough. And so to be able to share a story that's meaningful to you as a young person 
can normally feel quite scary, but breeding a space that like, mm, like makes a space that breeds that that kind of conversation about like the meaning behind things and purpose mm-hmm. really I think switched on a lot of people. That's fascinating, and there's a couple of things there. So, so firstly, I think we're getting better at talking about our emotions. Yeah, I cry nearly daily these days, yes. and I'm more than happy. And people are getting better at talking about their mental health, mm-hmm. and, and I've done a couple of podcasts on that very subject. Yeah. Um, but I really love the idea of attaching stories to something and then encouraging the, the audience, I'll call them the audience, followers, to, to, to unlock their own emotion. Mm. And, and it's interesting because when I first heard about what you two are doing, I misunderstood what it was about. I thought it would be around the stories of who made your clothes, uh-huh. how the cotton was sourced. Yep. So I was thinking supply chain, human supply chain stories rather than human wearing stories. And again, going back to um, those genes, Hyatt Denim, they, they've got a history tag in them, the code in the genes. And if you type that code into the website, you can see the person that made your genes and you can see the person who sewed them together. And then if you then, in, you then add your hashtag to that code and I could do anything I Instagram or tweet or even Facebook, I think, and put hashtag Mark's genes, accumulates on the history tag of those genes. So then I sell them and that history tag stays with the genes, somebody else. So I, 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 I love this and I guess, and please, correct me if I'm wrong I guess this is some kind of antidote to and I, I, I don't think fast fashion is bad but, but, but blind fast, fast yeah. fashion or filling a void yeah by consuming things I think we feel really strongly about that probably one of the reasons why we actually started it is because we were surrounded by material things that we thought made us feel better but were actually making us like quite un, unwell yeah. mentally oh thank you thank you very much they look like great fries. <laughs> they're not mine, they're Ella's. I'm having the avocado. Thank you. Do you have any salt at all for Ella? <laughs> Thank you so much. You know Cheers. So well. <laughs> Cheers. So that's interesting. So do you think, which is a really big question, and I don't know whether we can answer it here today, mm-hmm. but I mean, my eldest daughter's now. 24, same age as you, I guess. And um, when she was growing up, when she was like 12 and stuff, I, I used to decry that generation because I, not Daisy, it's the one between me and Daisy. Because it always felt like going to university in the 1980s and growing up in strike ridden Britain in the 70s, we were all quite politicised. And you'd sit at university and you would talk about politics and you would pour through manifestos and and somewhere in between them and you the only thing worth talking about was mobile phone contract renewal or it it felt like it got a bit thin and so I look at your generation the cusp of millennial the cusp of gen z and think purpose is back yeah 100% would you say that's true yeah I think there's a massive kind of activism around people demanding that deeper connection with things and I think that's why all of these startups whether it's clothes or beauty or anything have to have that in their brand DNA otherwise millennials or that generation will not be interested in it and I think that's interesting for us we crave stories we crave connection it's like now it's like super trendy to go camping yeah like there's literally like to get back into the 
like to get back to the earth, to get back with the earth, to, and it's just like reconnecting. Yeah. Like we're craving But on every sense, on every like level. clothes, food, friends, like yeah. events, like and on every level. And I think that's what we've like un sort of blossomed without meaning to with our community. And the irony is we've never been more connected. Yeah. No, that's it. Exactly. That's, that's the saddest <laughs> thing. But never been connected in, in less of a in more of a transient, less of a deep way, yeah. I guess. Yeah. So tell me about growing up. Gemma, you tell me about so just you grab a drink of tea. Tell me about growing <laughs> growing up. So I um, have grown up in Surrey with my lived always with my mum. My parents have been divorced but have a beautiful relationship. We've all sort of grown up as one big family, which is quite nice. And I think Growing up with two parents who are happy and not necessarily together is yep. more important than together and not necessarily happy. Totally, and I, yeah. I wouldn't want it any other way. Like, yeah. we have a really healthy, lovely family. Um, growing up, school, loved school, uh, university, didn't, knew I wanted to do something creative, but was unsure with the kind of marriage between university and doing something creative. So I wanted What to kind of child were you? What kind of, um, you know? What kind of child? Yeah, what was your weirdness? What was your kookiness? What was the... I was a daydreamer. So my mum has stories of me when I was younger, which I find so funny because it really helps me understand myself. We'd be on a, a long family walk, sort of 10 or 12 of us, and I would be the one 20 steps behind staring up at the trees. Or if we were on holiday, I'd be, when I was, I think I was about seven, I would be, we would all be on the beach as a big family, having a nice day, and I'd be lying on the sand, watching the waves go in and out. I've got one of those. And I, I just, it makes, when my mum would tell me these stories, it actually helps me understand the way my brain works. I'm such a daydreamer. It's so funny. It's great for me because now I get it. But, um, and and how's, how, what, what's that, how's that manifested itself now? How... Well, I think now um, I can't hide how I'm feeling, for one. So if I'm sad, everyone will know. If I'm happy, everyone will know about it. Which I think I'm growing to love, but I think that's also quite a hard thing to learn to deal with. Very brave. Yeah. I'm the same. Yeah. And, and it, you can get hurt really easily. Really easily. But, but you also, when people understand what you're about, then you, you, your emotional intelligence is so large that you get people working together in a really positive way. Yeah, so I think from sort of being like that, I've grown sort of very close to my friends, which is really lovely. And I think kind of life, things that life throws at you, like my mum was ill twice with cancer. She's absolutely fine now, but kind of going through those two things at the age of 13, then again at the age of uh, two years ago, sort of that really pushed me to dealing with the fact that I really can't hide my emotions. Um, and that's actually one of the things that we were dealing with together when my mum was ill the second time, uh, starting this space to really like put positive energy into and like reclaim the connection that we didn't have. Uh, wow. So, yeah. The university you studied what? Fashion marketing in Leeds. Yeah. Because I wanted to merge doing something creative, but also having the like academic side as well. Because Great I wasn't hundred percent sure what I wanted to do with my life. And then we started stories, and it all kind of became a bit clearer that I just want to be work in a creative space that channels meaning. So you know now what you want to do in life. I just want to grow stories and inject meaning back into things that I think we've lost. Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Ella, um, tell me about you growing up. I was, I think I was in that case, definitely. I was, I was just like really, um, my mum, my parents would probably say I was quite hard to deal with just because I was very expressive child, just like very loud, very expressive. My emotions have always been in kind of a similar way for us. We act in a reasonable way, so like I can't hide them. 
So like if I'd have been born in like South America or Spain, I think it would have been easier because it's more like culturally appropriate to just be like loud and expressive. But it was like, what is this thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I had like a really smooth ride up until I was about fourteen. Just like just like loving life, just drinking, taking lots of drugs. Like I grew up in London, so it was like I was really, when you were fourteen. Yeah, fourteen, and and this is like people always now from the age of kind of seventeen. I've been. I got really into kind of spiritualism and didn't drink and still don't really drink and everyone's always like how my mum's always like you're 23 like you should be going out to the clubs and then I was like mum I grew up in London like we did it way too young like I was there with my fake ID at 14 13 in clubs talking to men who were probably about 20 so like and and more and, and, yeah, but, no, no, but, and like maybe like 40 like, yeah. like it, as old as that yeah <laughs> but I was so little um so yeah, I think I definitely grew up at a fast pace, in a fast pace, and I loved it yeah. until I was about fourteen, fifteen. Um, what happened then? Well, I think a mix of things. I moved to an all-girls school when I was thirteen from a really creative uh, mixed school with no uniform, and moved to like an all-girls school where you wore all grey, and it was like very uh, Church of England and. And I just hated it. I had I got alopecia for the first time, which is like your hair falling out mm-hmm. from stress. Um, and I just I got myself kicked out actually. Look, I told my mum I want to leave. She said you've got to be here for a year. You've got to be here for a year. So I just acted out until they asked me to leave, politely. And I left and went back to my old school. Um, and how was that? How was how was going back into a pool that you'd already climbed out? Not comfortable because I think I was a little bit older and I came back in with the same exuberance and I always wanted to be friends with everybody and kind of the center of, of the party and I think I came back in and kind of a bit of knocked out a bit. Um, and so then at 16, kind of after two years back at my old school and not really liking it, I decided to go to boarding school. Um, and I went to a performing arts boarding school called Hurtwood House. You decided that? Yeah. Where's Hurwood House? It's in Guildford, like just outside of Guildford. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's where I like had my like dark night of the soul as a young person. Like I just hated it, and I didn't. I think it kind of being around other people reflected all my insecurities back at me because they were people I didn't know. Yeah. So I came in, and it's a performing arts school as well. So everyone's like ready to go. Fucking full on. I'm yeah, guessing. no, like so intense. And you either you either rise to it or you back down. And I backed down massively. I couldn't rise to it, and I think people saw through my kind of insecure 15 year old self that was uh, it was there was so much confidence but not really there's no foundation for the confidence if that makes sense yeah um, so I just became really quiet and removed and reserved and I wasn't very happy for two years and it was kind of the start of me really doing some kind of looking at myself and questioning myself and in that space I got into meditation um, and kind of just questioning the world and looking at my self-growth, reading, reading loads of self-help books and I just went kind of on this journey of inquisitiveness with myself. Um, uh, yeah, and then I kind of came out the other side, went back and saw my old school friends and they were like, who are you? Who are you? Like, you're, you're the same person but you're so, it's like, it's like 20 years have passed, like I don't, you're so different because I'd become kind of an introvert, although I'd always been an extrovert. So. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and then from there, decided, took a year off. I still was kind of finding myself and not very happy. Went to Australia for seven months, and went to India for two months, 
and around Asia for two more months. But still wasn't quite happy, hadn't found my feet. Um, and then went to Leeds Uni for a year, didn't like it, didn't want to be at uni, I did journalism. Yeah. And I was already doing a lot of stuff on social media, so I was sharing on social media. I was going to say, had yeah. the Instagram taken off for you at this point? Yeah, so Instagram and YouTube started actually when I was at boarding school and unhappy. Um, so I started, well, YouTube actually, I was 17, 16, 17, and I decided to make videos of myself presenting, because I'd always wanted to present. So I did it, and I think that also alienated me from people my age, because I feel like, I don't know, it was something that was just a bit too out there, so it was kind of uncomfortable. Presenting I, what? Uh, I was literally just talking about girls, I was talking about periods, I was talking about my experiences growing up, I was doing like little sketch, comedy sketches. But everyone needs a friend like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apart from those who've got a friend like that in their dorm. Yeah, exactly. But I was just as kooky, but I don't think I was fully confident in my self being as kooky as I was. That's really interesting. So I think it was... Was it some kind of therapy for you? Yeah, no, I just loved it. I just, I loved every second. And I, I've always had a feat for that kind of thing. I knew I had to do it. I was scared. I was scared whatever everyone think of me, but it was like I didn't have a choice. Like, I have to do this because this is my thing. It's a very, both of you, very brave way of living. Mm. In particular, that's brave because the comments, the bottom half of the internet is a turgid, dreadful, hate-filled place to yeah. be. You must have had people being really unpleasant. Yeah, oh, totally. And especially at first, like, it's literally putting out, I put out a video just being like, hi, I'm Ella. Like, I want to make videos, I want to do this, I want to do that. And putting that on Facebook and sharing it with all the social circles. There was so much conversation about it between friends and so much conversation about it behind my back between people. But it wasn't like a choice, if that makes sense. Was it good conversation? Was it? Uh, was I think it... it was probably quite judgmental conversation from peers. But even my mum was like, I don't know if you should do that because you're going to get, like, I'm really worried that people are going to take the piss out of you. So I didn't have a necessarily, like, super supportive... I think everyone was a bit scared, and my parents have always been a bit scared for me because I'm yeah. just like crashing into things. Wow. Okay. Fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> Are you still looking for yourself? No, I found myself. Found yourself. Yeah. And you found yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. At such a young age, trust me, I'm still hunting. <laughs> I'm 50 this year. We spent a lot of time <laughs> trying to find ourselves. Yeah. So <laughs> tell me, tell me about what, what, tell me about what you're doing in a minute. Tell me about. Why you think there's a need to? Because you've got a Kickstarter, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're launching a Kickstarter yeah. to find funds to support this project. Tell me why you think there's a need for the project, and then what the project is. Okay, John, do you want to go? Yeah. So our aim with this project is to break down the overwhelm feeling that comes with living sort of zero waste or plastic-free. We want to break down the sort of overwhelming feeling of not knowing where to go for the correct information, not knowing where to go to buy the right products. And not even knowing where to begin. Yeah, and just not knowing where to begin. We, we always say when we do panels and stuff that we believe everyone to the core is good and wants to do good. So we wanted to come up with a concept that would allow people to not have to do any work, to trust that we are trying our best to make sure that it's as like sustainable and ethical as it can be, and to... Uh, buy a box full of products that will enable them to live plastic free in their day to day lives. So there's some you're speaking there of some kind of ethical paralysis. Because yeah. we can all see the the, the the world challenged by climate change, mm. by mm. traditionally ozone depletion, but we've kind of nailed that at the moment. Um, cities by pollution, 
um, the oceans by plastic and it seems like it's just this fucking huge problem and where do you begin and of course the answer is just begin and I guess there's some push that you're giving people to move from the inertia they're in and just to start like the first step yeah it's like just be curious and to anyone that's curious in our community on how they can live more sustainably or anyone that isn't in the community that comes across us we're trying to help people just begin like in your day-to-day life start at home like any big change starts with yourself at home uh, not literally at home, but like it, with yourself, with with what you're doing. But it, but it could be. It could be. It home. could. It could be how you clean. It could be how exactly. you, how no, you it's drive. Everything. It could be yeah. what you eat. It's everything, and I think it's making a product that translates to the everyday person, like making something that translates all of these big issues and all of this stuff that we see on the BBC. It's in a box, and it's here for you. And there you go, and try this, and do your bit, and then and it and, it, and we want it to be fun and kind of not. There's no judgment. It's also the idea that there's no one really to blame for this situation. It just is what it is. So how can we help make a difference in our day-to-day lives and make it not overwhelming? Yeah. It's not overwhelming to get to take your coffee cup and go to the coffee shop and get it. It's actually a really nice feeling. So it's just introducing people to new habits when maybe they don't have time to do it themselves. That's really interesting. I um, spent a bit of time in Italy. A bit of time in Portugal. I'm watching how people go for a coffee there. So different. They go in, they drink short coffee on the whole. They might have a little spot of milk. They'll buy it in a cup, porcelain. They'll drink it. It can be as little as 30 seconds between ordering and drinking it and going. Or it can be three or four minutes and a transaction. The idea that you would walk away with something hot in a cup is beyond them. And I kind of like that because then, then there is no need for cups. It's a, it's a different way of, of drinking. So interesting that like takeaway culture we have, like yeah. the on the go, the constantly moving, fast pace, like just yeah. stopping and have yeah. your coffee, and that's it. It's like we're trying to do so much all at once. Mm. I'm eating some guacamole and a flatbread. So, if, so forgive me for the tape. Tape. How old am I? <laughs> forgive me for the tape. for the digital. <laughs> um, I guess. That's about just being a little bit more present. I was just about to, I was thinking present. I'm thinking about, in this case, coffee as, as something that's an experience rather than a fuel or a, a necessity or a, or, a, or a bolt of awakening. It's about thinking of, of how you enjoy it. And, I can't remember the last coffee I enjoyed walking down Tottenham Court Road. No, but you don't. You Do don't. You ever, yeah. Because it's just a side. It's just on the side. I think this is there's a space for me where all of the stuff that I looked I've done some crazy kind of spiritual mindfulness stuff in yurts and in all kinds of weird me places, and you both. flats yeah. in Brixton with covered in crystals. I've done all the weird stuff, mm. and all of this stuff interlinks at the point where we bring ritual into our everyday lives. So ritual is something that we that is so helpful for our mindfulness as well, and is something that brings us. We do it with people. We do it brings community together around rituals and just stopping and having your coffee and enjoy the coffee, enjoy the taste, enjoy the beans, enjoy the like. We're so disconnected from everything because it's so. Quick. No, I, I agree. And we where we used to have ritual built into the way we made foods, for example, or, or spent time in the evening. I love I love the way I can't remember which African Kenya. One of the, it's the Maasai Mara, when they clean their teeth, they use a stick that's got natural antiseptic in it. 
You buy them on the internet now. You don't have to go and cut them down. I'll be there. And you chew the end till it, till it feathers. And then cleaning teeth isn't a two-minute chore before you go to sleep or have sex with your partner. It's something that you do collectively around the fire. And at the end of the day, people would exchange stories or talk about the day or take the piss out of each other. Um, and they would chew on the end of this, this, this stick with antiseptic in. And they would rub, they would clean their teeth. And, and the antiseptic really helps the gums. And the, obviously the stick cleans yeah. the teeth. But that takes not two minutes. That takes like an hour. And everyone's got like really nice teeth, obviously. That's the whole aim of it. But there's a social engagement there. There's a there's a ceremony, and we we recreate those. And now you know my ceremony in the morning is pour over, That's pour it, over yeah. coffee. That's my ceremony. So, yeah. Or I make my tea, and I make tea. I, I buy tea from um, a place in Cardiff called Waterloo Teas, and and I, and I measure it out by the gram. And my temperature's got to be right. And I kind of artificially I can't be doing with a tea bag and, and boiling water. It should never be boiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Burns tea. Um, and and I, and I like the ceremony. Actually, I'm just I'm just a middle-aged bloke creating solutions to problems that he doesn't have, arguably. How much of what you're doing is middle-class people feeling less guilty about the way they live? It's a really hard question, and I apologise, but no, got to be no. asked. No, I appreciate it. Uh, I think probably a lot of it. I think a lot of it. Because I think that, like... I'm a middle-class person who feels guilty about the way I live. Like, uh, that's what I, was, what I was born into. Yeah. Um, so that's the space that I'll, I can speak to because I know it. Um, I'd love to be able to speak to different spaces and bring solutions to places. Because for us, making this box, this box costs. And we spoke about it. We were like, can we do a one-for-one? One? How can we make it so that, like, if we do the boxes, we can, when we sell a box to someone in the middle class from Urban Outfitters or whatever, also, we, it affords us to go and educate people in state schools about plastic yeah. usage. And so it's just, I mean, that's the audience we speak to because it's the audience we're in. Of course. Um, and, and, and make no apologies about that. Yeah, no, no. Trying not to as I get older. <laughs> because, because I think, I mean, it's a really harsh question. But it's true, you know, there's a lot of people out there who really give a shit and don't know where to start. And sometimes it's easy to start with the totemic, things that we had the example at your launch about straws at Nando's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A, a global chicken slaughterer yeah. worried about the straws it uses. There are bigger things for Nando's to worry yeah, about, yeah. Tr tr trust me. Um, but you've got to start where you are. Yeah. And and what I love about what, what you're doing, Gemma and Ella, is you're giving people the tools to, to begin. And even if it, five people question why they eat meat and 20 people question whether they should cycle rather than drive that day or walk, and, and 100 people question whether actually, do they really need that new coat? Do they? Or when they do buy the new coat, they give the old one somewhere special. Or send it on eBay, I don't care. Um, even if that's all it does, it's fucking working. Yeah. Because people need a handhold. To start climbing, you need a really first simple step. Yeah. And also, um, people feel safety in numbers, don't they? I think creating a space that has a lot of people in it that all believe in some of the same things, not all of them, but everyone that follows us online believes in some element of what we're doing. And I think um, um, that that's sort of a good place to begin and for other people to grow and to learn more because you're learning off your peers, even if yeah. it's online. So what interests me massively 
is why you two wanted to solve this problem. Why has no one else done it like this? And what is it about you two? What makes you two so inquisitive and so bothered? Could it be easy if you, you know, you could both go and run amazing jobs and you know do great stuff, retail and Instagram. You could both go and do those things. Why are you giving yourself all this he headache? I think our lives crossed over at a really interesting time for both of us. We first sort of became really close while we were at uni. And we were both going through kind of mental health issues for totally different reasons, but it both brought us to one space where we just felt really disconnected to the things around us, the people around us, and why we were on this planet. And I think that's kind of one of the main things that connected us in the first place, just kind of being curious. And as we kind of gotten closer and closer, and now it's been like a good couple of years where we spend probably five out of seven days together every week. Yeah, just doing, and just working on this and planning yeah. ideas. I think we realised that, one, it's cool to care and we enjoy caring. Yeah. Like, two, every time we do an event around this, so we do clothes switching events where people come and bring their old clothes. Shopping. Oh, yeah, I we love do that. shopping. Yeah. We, do, we do the big clothes switch in London. And um, we do them, we'll have a DJ, we'll make it into like a really fun experience, we'll have a big sustainable marketplace and then we'll just fill out like a big warehouse in Hackney and just like bring people in and literally have music pumping. Gemma, that is amazing because back in my day, I'm old, I'm 50, in the 70s this is what we did for shopping, right? The village hall in Sharnford, the Evergreen Hall, trust me, was not evergreen, um, had a jumble sale and you'd bring all your old shit, there was no dance music, there were no cool kids, there was no Hackney, there was no Shoreditch. And, and it was miserable. What you've, what you've done, and I think what you will continue to do, is you've made this stuff really fucking racy. And like, you know, being good is the new cool. Yeah. Undoubtedly. Yeah. can yeah, yeah, yeah. see that a mile away. Yeah. And I see this as building on it. And what I love about what you've just said is, is you found each other when you needed each other. Yeah. You were both in a northern city, a long way from where you grew up. Leeds yeah. is beautiful. I've taught at the university yeah, there yeah, for a while. Very, different to London. <laughs> very, very different to London. No matter how much it tries not to be, exactly. it, it really is. And it now seems quite comfortable in its skin. For a long time, it wanted to be something that it wasn't. But you're a long way from home, and you found each other. Like there's something about you two that that, that attracts, and, and you're like stickle bricks. Yeah. What do you think that is? It's really freaky. I mean, I astrologically think we have the same chart. Like, yeah. I've done our charts, our charts. I mean, I'm into this crazy stuff. We We're read each other's minds. Like, when we do panels and talks, or when we're just speaking to each other, we actually spend a lot of time not talking to each other, and we just look, like, we just we just know what's going through each other's brains. It's, it freaks us out. Yeah, all the time. and it's very weird to choose to go into business with a friend, yeah. with, with a friend, because it is a, a potentially a dangerous thing, and yeah. our aim is just to have fun with it. Yeah. We just want to have fun and do something good. And also, we we don't put pressure on ourselves so we've just launched this kickstarter our aim is to raise thirty-three thousand pounds will we raise it we really bloody hope so if we don't we'll just keep doing our thing like if we don't do it we'll just do another clothes switch and we'll just keep going You're, yeah it, I, I i can see what you're saying the kickstarter is not irrelevant at all it's really important but if it doesn't happen you 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 will still happen oh no we've just got we've got a mission our mission is still clear so how, how can people find it on kickstarter you literally just type in back to basics. Back to basics. Back to basics on Kickstarter. It was a club in Leeds, by the way. Was you it? probably remember. Oh, Do you remember that? <laughs> no. Yeah, no. And it was I mean, a, I didn't get any proper, clubs. A proper big fish, small fish cardboard box. <laughs> was it? Yeah, yeah, it was ace. Oh, no, yeah. I, know, I never that's went where there. the name came from, subconsciously. This is late 80s, early 90s. Oh, yeah, well, before you were probably born. Yes, it was. Fuck. <laughs> before you were born. I think it's still going. Yeah? Yeah, we're still going. Yeah, before you were born. 
So they search back to basics. Yeah. On stories Kickstarter, but things. if you want to find us and you can, you'll find the whole Kickstarter on there, just go to Stories Behind Things on Instagram. Brilliant. That's at amazing. Stories Behind Things, and we'll be making noise. And um, what I'm really interested in is what's going to be in your first box. Okay, so in the first box, we have a bamboo toothbrush, we have a Tupperware, BPA free Tupperware, mm-hmm. we have a canteen for water, we have a flask that doesn't spill and isn't glass for, co- for coffee. Um, we have a shopping bag and then we have a how-to guide which yep. tells you everything about the story behind the item, how to use it and we want to make, we want to have like little, what are they called, the codes, that I, Q codes? QR, QR codes. codes, that's it. We want to have QR codes and we want to make video content. Um, we've been talking to Hunger TV, who are like Hunger Magazine and Days to Confuse. Yeah. We want to make video content about how you can use each each of the products That's and just make it really cool and fun and just like easy. So people are like, yes, I want to do that. Yeah. And so people can, can just use the canteen or they can dig a bit deeper and look at where it's made and, yeah, and, and the story. Yeah, that's it. Totally. And then they can, and they can do that with a QR code or they can do that by, by Googling it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where do you see this going? Five years time, mm-hmm. where do you want to be? With the box box or with everything? Do the box first. Okay. So the box, our aim, we're actually kickstarting making the first just 150 boxes. Um, So we're making 150 boxes and then our aim is to take that, I want to get it into the mainstream, so I want to get a meeting with someone at Urban Outfitters. Yeah. Um, I want to sit down with them and I want to pitch them the box and I want to get it into mainstream. I want it to like be a product that is known and gets out. And we can grow it into some kind of seasonal box that changes with the seasons. We get new products in depending on what people need. Recycled wool hats in the winter. That's it. And and then like, they're just like kits. So kits so you can replace, you can have your toiletry toolbox. You can have your kind of kitchen toolbox. You can have, so there's just so many different spaces where people just want to start replacing their items. And so we wanted to make boxes that help you replace those items easily. Amazing, amazing. That's great. What about you two? Gemma, where do you want to be in five years' time? Five Not years. about Go the box. Five years, five years. Moved out of my parents' house. <laughs> <laughs> Look, no, you're on the cusp one. of millennial and Gen Z. It's never going to happen. You're going to die there. I've got my cat, so it's, that's okay then. <laughs> uh, where do I want to be in five years' time? I want stories to be like properly rolling, just just being able to get involved with new projects all the time. So I want it to be have the stability somewhere else to be able to like be at the front of sort of new projects in our area. I see you just like running your own company. Yeah. I always see you just like in your own office with the employees, just like running your company. Hopefully I'll be there as well, me and you just at the top doing our thing and just making change and making noise about good things. Yeah. Making change more than making money. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But then, I think but that's then also we're, in the, that we're in the perfect evolves. moment where, like, I mean, I've been for a while on my Instagram talking about sustainability, and I've never made any money in that space. And I'd have, I'd have like two hundred thousand followers, and people be like, "Why aren't you making money?" And it's like, because I'm not taking thousands of pounds from Coca-Cola because they're shit. But, but then sometimes, then slowly, sustainability is coming into the mainstream, and some like beautiful synchronicities happening where it's like, now it makes sense why I was so interested in all of these things because it can also support me. And we talk about that a lot. It's like we want to go into sustainability, but we also want to build a sustainable business and a sustainable life for ourselves where we're not like suffering and like really, really struggling. We want to do something fun and active that's helping other people and also make sure that we're supported. So that we we then have time to go into unis and do talks and workshops. Yeah. We, I think 
we don't just want to find the thing that makes us money. We want to have things that make us money so we can survive as a business, but then also sort of put our passion where it needs to be. Exactly. So that, that sounds amazing. I mean, like super needed. And and you've always got to just start small and, and, and grow. And I think you're right. I think there is ethical paralysis people don't know what to do it's really bloody confusing out there and any curation any help that you can you can give people to find their way really really welcome have you found your way have you found have you stopped hunting for who who you are and are you content with the person that you've found yeah i found my way i found my way Gemma? I think, yeah, I think we've both spent a lot of time and energy, probably maybe more than we should have, but we've spent sort of a good couple of years really trying to nail it so that we can live peacefully doing what we love. Yeah, mm. I think so. Yeah, I think we found our way. That's brilliant. It's a lifetime's work, and you've done it really quickly. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't want to say it. We're saying that now. I mean, we'll look back on this in ten years, going, "What were you thinking?" We were <laughs> It'll still be there because the internet lasts forever. Oh, <laughs> look, I wish you all the best in the world. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having us. No, no problems at all. Back to basics on Kickstarter. Follow mm. you on Instagram and Twitter. I guess is that we're old not school. Really using Twitter. We just straight on Instagram. Yeah. yeah, it's all about the visuals, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. all about the visuals. Ace, thank you. Have a special thank day. You. Thank Cheers. you. So what an interesting conversation. And um, I genuinely wish um, Gemma and Ella all the best. I think it's so easy to be lethargic and, and just not be bothered to do something. And it's really hard to know what the best thing to do in terms of sustainability is. And... You know, I say this a lot, but if you ask 10 environmental consultants to do a, an assessment of one product in terms of its environmental impact, you'll get at least 30 answers. It's so complex. Um, and trying to, trying to just cut through some of that complexity, trying to give a, a, a kind of path for people to follow that is really simple is nearly impossible. Um, in fact, it is impossible. And so just starting where you are, starting with the things that you can control and you can see around you, super super important but just be mindful that focusing on the wrong thing is the wrong thing and the example that i give i think i gave it in the conversation around the environmental impact of um, of a coffee cup versus the coffee inside it you know if you if you leave if you leave half a cup of coffee inside a coffee cup a half a latte and the environmental impact of what you've left is five times that of the coffee cup and so use less, consume less, consume better, know where things come from, understand the people that are selling them, only buy what you need or, or, or you know, if you can lease it even better, if you can shift into that kind of like leasing model, then that's the best way forwards. Um, that's all you can do. Now, if you want to back them on Kickstarter, you need to look at Back to Basics, all one word, a plastic free toolkit for busy people. Um, I'm certain we're going to see loads more of these two um, and, and more power to their elbow.